Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 17 of Run Wild with Lauren and Bud. Today is a little bit different for me because I get to sit down and uh, I am interviewed by Bud about my no business 100 race that I just completed last weekend. So we just chat about how the race went and some strategies I used. And uh, really, I just hope you maybe learn something or at least laugh along with me. Okay. All right. Here we go. Oh, boy. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. I'm just waiting for the drum roll. Yeah, it's uh, two people I know finished a hundo. Really? No way. I don't even like that far. Oh, (laughs) I hate it when people say that. Hundred miles. Yeah. What kind of idiot does that? Uh, his name is Jim. <laughs> hey Jim. Yeah, so I should say Jim's sitting next to me. He's eating dinner. Yeah. Sorry, there's somebody chasing me. Yeah, I was. Yeah. I was chasing him. I was gonna beat him with my hiking poles. Yeah, well, we're not gonna let him steal your thunder. So tonight's all about you. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> We can talk about him later. That's right. <laughs> so, hey, let me ask you, because um, I'm sure people are now wondering. Um, so you just did the No Business 100. Uh-huh. And why why did you choose that race for your hundo? Um, well, so years ago when I first started ultra running, I came across this race called Yamacraw, the Yamacraw race. It was a 50K up in Stearns, Kentucky. It goes through the Big South Fork area, which I had previously been hiking in. Knew it was a really cool place. So anyways, so I saw this race years ago called Yamacraw 50K, and I thought, oh, I love that area. I want to run a race there. So I signed up and ran it, and uh, it was a great race, great area, but... um more importantly, a great race director, uh, Brian Gadges. And, um, yeah, so I've just kind of followed his races uh, for the last several years and had seen the No Business 100. And at that time, I just started to, like, put my feet into the world of ultra running. And I was like, I'll never run 100 miles. That's so stupid. Uh, but I thought it was a great place to do it. So I, I knew other people that had run No Business 100 and all of that. Uh, and so, yeah, over the years, I just kind of watched and um, just really a fan of how Brian uh does his races um and a fan of that area and it just made sense that when it was finally time for me to to do a hundred get my buckle uh i thought it was the perfect race so yeah that's kind of how i just lucked out i think that's cool let me ask you this so i know that trail running is a major hobby for you but other than just your your regular routine runs, how long would you say you actually had to train specifically for this race? And I'm not just talking about, you know, it takes a, a lifetime of running to build up the, the yeah. your body strength for a hundo. But when you said, I'm going to do this hundo, how long did you actually train for? 
Uh, let me think. When did we sign up, Jim, for the race? I'm trying to remember when I actually registered for the race because, like you said, I, I have a base. Right, line, you have a you good know, base. Running. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I could throw out a 50k at any given time and and be fine with it. And so, serious training, I guess, started in. Uh, I mean, for me, I guess at the beginning of the year, so this just happened October, what, 16th, 17th. So I would say January, it's probably, I think it was New Year's Day or New Year's Eve uh, okay. when I registered. And so it's like in my brain in January, like, hey, it's going to be a big training year. Um, you know, in January, February, I'm just running normal kind of stuff. Cause like in February we do the black mountain mm -hmm. marathon. So, you know, I'm trained up for that, but I would say things start getting serious. Like, I don't know, maybe I guess March is when I sat down and was okay. like, okay, I got to have my plan together of how I'm going to ramp up and then taper. Like how, you know, what's the timing look like? And okay. So it's 2020, right? Right. So back in, you know, January and February, I had it planned out that I had races leading up to the hundred that would kind of work me up. So I had a 50 miler I was supposed to do in May, uh, the dark sky 50, which is actually up in the same area. And I think I had a, another race. So I had some races like along the way of training that would help mm -hmm. kind of ramp me up and of course those didn't happen because it's 2020 and you know in march everything shut down and the world went crazy um but i would say even so given that uh serious training started you know laying the groundwork in march and april i guess right about the time quarantine and, and all of that crazy stuff happened yeah so like you mentioned having um <clears throat> races so nor ideally, had you been able to have races along the way that were gradually increasing in distance, then mm -hmm. those would have been like mini goals that would have been like uh, serious milestones in your training mm -hmm. regimen. Because if you're sticking to a training plan and you're the only one coaching yourself, it, it may be difficult to keep increasing your rate. But then if you have these other races there, those are like um, someone else is like forcing you to finish that almost. Right. So you, have, you have this other goal. Yeah. Yeah. It's like breaking it into increments. Like, you know, I was going to get trained yeah. up the 50 miler and hopefully feel really good doing the 50 miler and then kind of rest and then kind of ramp back up. So, of course, that didn't happen. And so it was just all kind of sitting down, looking at a calendar and being like, how, you know, like, where do I need to start really getting high mileage and you know by this date i need to be able to do this kind of mileage uh so yeah it just kind of was that thing of sitting down and trying to figure it out okay and so maybe for the listeners um if someone was sitting there thinking well i'd like to do a hundo and mm -hmm. may maybe they've done 5ks and stuff like that how long do you think it would take them to build up <laughs> well you could be like jim so the funny thing about jim he's giggling over here is that he did a couch to 100 he's not he was not an ultra runner although he was physically fit not per se an ultra runner and so he he went from basically a baseline of no running <laughs> 
to a hundred in a year, and I wouldn't recommend that because it's a really good way to get hurt. Um, and so for most people, like I feel like a hundred miles, like if you you want to be a life ultra runner, you should probably build up and feel really comfortable at the fifty k distance for a while before you work your way on up. Um, and your, just, your tendons and everything else has to build yeah, up. You know, just you like think your about, right. You think about all the, the pressure and wear and tear that you put on just your ligaments and joints, right. not even your muscles. Um, and, you know, time. It just takes time for them to adapt, you know, biochemically, mechanically. Right physically everything it just takes time and so i mean i'm sure people do it quicker you know um but i i really feel that there's big benefit to feeling very comfortable at a 50k distance and then moving up um not that a 50 miler is ever comfortable you know like i wouldn't for me i'm not like oh yeah i'm just gonna go throw down a 50 miler and you know uh, but you do get more comfortable at the higher distances and you get more familiar with how your body reacts and how your body handles it. So I just feel like, um, I, you know, everybody's so different, but if you work your way up incrementally, you know, maybe the first year, sorry, my dog, is uh, he's chasing something in the night. Uh, maybe if you work your way up incrementally, you know, the first year of ultra running, you're doing 50 K's and 50 milers. And then the next year you're moving up. Yeah. And I think one thing to clarify for the listeners, Jim is a lifetime outdoorsman and a lifetime yeah. backpacker, hiker. He right. can go many, many miles. Um, he was very, very strong before he started running. Yeah. And yes. the other thing working in his favor was that he lost some weight as he started training. And yeah. so his body was stronger than the average person. Yeah, I definitely. He was losing weight. Jim is gifted with endurance abilities. Um, he's a whitewater kayaker. He's, he's able to hike far distances and was very active before he picked up running. So I feel like compared to the average person, he probably had, you know, that advantage. Uh, so, yeah, I would not recommend, like, couch to 100 in, like, 10 months for an average person unless you don't mind getting hurt. <laughs> um, I just think back, you know, to myself, like, the, when I started running ultras, like, 50Ks, like, man, I spent a lot of time sore, like, sore ligaments, sore mm -hmm. muscles, uh, just all kinds of stuff. And so, you know, it, it was a process for me. So, you know, <laughs> I guess how much do you yeah. like pain and how much <laughs> are you not scared to get hurt? I don't know. Okay. So, uh, personally, I would like to tell the listeners some stuff. You had some hurdles along the way during your training. And mm -hmm. so if you could share some of those with us. Uh, well, you know, I feel like Okay, so I'm a mom. I got three kids, and, and a couple of them have some really significant special needs. And so it's always, um, you know, a battle of time and juggling everything. And so, yeah, you know, I had one child right when quarantine hit in March, April, th that summer. 
uh, in the early stages, I had a child who had to, to be in the hospital for a couple weeks. And, you know, that was about the time I was ramping up training and it, the world was crazy and a kid in the hospital. Um, and then summer rolls around, you know, I'm experienced running in the summer, but I end up with a horrible case of actual heat stroke, um, where my, you know, body just completely shut down, had to go to the ER. It triggered some uh, insulin and blood sugar issues, and that was a nightmare. Oh, it's awful. Uh, and then as the race grew closer, I had a bout of salmonella, of all things. Mm. Like, who the hell gets salmonella? But apparently, you know, during a global pandemic, but apparently Lauren does. Um, <laughs> and so... Yeah, there were, you know, and those things might not sound too major, but they take away so much time. And when your body is sick or uh, you're ill in any way, it's not just getting better. You know, you're not only missing out on those runs, but your body's sick and weakened. And then you have to kind of build back up as you get better gradually. And so it's it's like large chunks of time that get taken away from your training uh, that do make a difference, unfortunately. And so, yeah, just trying to maneuver around those. Those all kind of happened during my peak times of training. Uh, so that kind of sucked. Yeah. <laughs> so there, there, there's going to be people listening who have probably experienced something similar where they're on a strict training regimen and then they got derailed for some reason. Yeah. And what advice would you give people who thought they got derailed? And well, they feel like, oh, I got thrown off my schedule. What am I going to yeah. do? So I'll start by saying that I, I personally never follow a strict regimen or training plan. I have my, my own, like, this is Lauren's training plan, and it's all in my head. And sometimes I write it down. <laughs> <laughs> and so it might be a little bit easier for me to handle that um, because then I just adapt it for whatever crazy stuff happens in my life. But yeah, I see people all the time who mm -hmm. you know are, are like following a regimented, strict plan, and then they freak out if like they miss one little run or something goes wrong or they get a cold or something. And I just think that's so crazy because like if your your plan can't adapt for your life, then it's not really a training plan, in my opinion. Like, you know, you're doing something that doesn't fit into your life, and for me. My whole goal is to make it fit into my life. Um, and, and, then, so, yeah. and so, I, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was just well, going to say, so I think the plan, like for me, I just adapt it. Whatever happens, I just work around it. Um, and so if you're following a regimented plan and stuff happens, like that's life. It is always going to happen. And you're just going to have to learn your body and deal with it. I mean, tough love, yeah. right? <laughs> you, Sorry. You're absolutely right. What I was going to say was being adaptable is very necessary because come race day, something's going to go weird on the race <laughs> and you have to adapt to it. Yeah. I mean, so. you never know what's going to happen, you know, and you could, you could follow your training plan to a T you could be the most regimented person and still have everything go to shit on race day, you know, so, <laughs> I mean, it's just true. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh. Okay. So, um, I know that they have a lot of quarantine or not quarantine, but COVID regulations in place during the race. Yeah. And I feel, I feel like we were very fortunate to even be able to do that race. And so, yeah, sure. um, it seemed to me like everyone was very well uh, 
adapted to the rules that they had in place and everyone followed them as best as they could. And so it really seemed like a good environment and, and they had it set up really, really well. Um, I think there's some takeaways from the COVID era that are probably going to remain in place going forward. And yeah. I know we used to we used to joke trail running that um, you're you're eating the same shit off the table everyone else does, and everyone's got <laughs> their germs they, in it. Yeah, rub yeah. their lube, you know, between their legs. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're picking trail mix out of a out of a bin that everyone else has been touching, right. and now we've kind of gone towards single serving type stuff, or yeah. at least people are more germ conscious, you know, yeah. and it, and it almost seems like what used to be at the aid station was kind of like um, if you've ever traveled to Asia and you've eaten street food, okay? Mm -hmm. um, it looks good, it smells good, it tastes good, but you're probably not ready for the bacteria that's in it, okay? <laughs> and so like it used to be at the aid station, the food was just out there and people were dripping sweat on it. They uh, were just- Yeah, yeah, they're like noses yeah. running into it. They've got like, their hands that have been places you don't wanna know. Right. So yeah. people are more I mean, conscious yeah. about all that and oh, yeah. and hope hopefully that carries through and uh but i just had i, I had a wonderful experience because it felt like we were we were back to some sense of normal even though it was uh more cautious normal it seemed oh, like, for sure you know? yeah yeah it did it was pretty normal i mean yeah things were very different as far as what aid stations usually look like, but it wasn't anything weird. It was just uh, different. And so it worked well. Um, you know, you kind of got the hang of it mm -hmm. after the first couple aid stations. Like, oh, okay. Some aid stations wanted you to ask, they would show you what they have. And then you kind of, it's like being at a concession stand, you know, you you tell them what you want. Others had it individually wrapped where you could grab it, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it would just kind of depended upon what everyone working the aid station felt was best. And it all seemed to work and flow just fine. Um, yeah, so it was it was good. Yeah. OK, let me ask you this, because I, I know that um, I'm, I'm a little bit curious about it, but kind of stick to my question, because I know there's other okay. stuff coming. Um, what other hundos do you have to look forward to? other hundos like upcoming yeah. like lauren's gonna run 100 miles what, again yes what okay, hundo but, is in your future but we discussed Just a hundo, okay so. well listen we just okay so you know so but not we <laughs> discussed we, this on the trail how it's like i know while we you're running we're telling our <laughs> while you're running 100 miles you always are like never again like, this is it. Like, I'm going to get my buckle. I'm one and done. Like, this is not worth the pain. It's, like, so painful. It's so much time. It's so hard. It hurts. And, like, you know, we talk about it's like giving birth. You have that amnesia. Because right. at the end, you're so happy. And, like, all you remember, you look back. And all and you, you got a baby. You yeah, got a baby. You got a buckle. <laughs> and, like, all you remember are the good times and feeling so good. And you forget the pain. It's like you, when you forget the pain of childbirth and you go and have another baby. And so, uh, you know, I, uh, I think that the only hundo in my future is a possible 
another no business because they do it the opposite direction next year and you get a 200 mile buckle if you do it the opposite direction and i actually think the opposite direction next year will be a lot easier based on the trail so i can't i don't want to bring this up but i was actually thinking i was like shit i can do this i want to ah, do it like i want to <laughs> sign up hey, hey new year's eve bud new year's eve don't oh don't my crash. god you're gonna sign up we can we up we can all three jim's gonna do it too uh, so All right. let me put it this way. I have not committed because as y'all know, I'm signed up for the Bigfoot 200, which is a big deal, but mm. in itself, it's different. But if I were to do another hundred mile, it would be no business again, doing it in the opposite direction because I really did love the race. I love the race director. I loved everything about it. Um, I think it's top notch. Like if you are looking to run a hundred mile race and have a great experience, you need to do no business. Uh, it's mm. hard. It's not an easy course. It's not easy at all, but it's scenic, it's wild and it's, it's great. And you will, you will have a wonderful time. And so I don't think that I will sign up for any other races. Honestly, I'm signed up for Yamacraw actually next year. I haven't run. I've run Yamacraw. It was a while ago. So I, I actually signed up to run it in the spring and got canceled because of COVID. Uh, so I'll be up there running Yamacraw in the spring, hopefully. Mm -hmm. And yeah, the only other race is Bigfoot 200, of course. And then if I feel good. I would really love to do the new business again in the counterclockwise or clockwise direction, which whatever's opposite of what it did. So that would be yeah, the only for honestly. That that would be really close to the Bigfoot race, though. Yeah, it gives you a couple months to recover. Okay, let me ask you this: um, on the no business one hundred. What was your absolute favorite part of the course? We're Ooh, just talking about the course. Hard. We're not talking yeah. about emotions or anything. Just the, the course, course itself. That is so, so hard because it's so scenic. There's so many different kinds of places that you pass through. Oh, favorite. Oh, that is super hard, bud. Um, well, I'll tell you, I'll give you like my top three. Uh, okay. I loved, you get to go through this place called the Twin Arches, and it's these natural land bridges that have been formed from years of erosion and, and all of this, um, which are massive and cool, and you get to run underneath them. So that, that's great. Uh, the other part I love is um, I loved during the night, and I don't really even know where this is on the map. Jim would probably have to show me. But during the night, we did some ridge running, and... If you don't know anything about this area, Pickett State Park in Big South Fork, and specifically Pickett, uh, it is designated as one of the dark sky regions in on Earth, yeah. where it's phenomenal uh, viewing of stars. And we were lucky to have no moon. It was a new moon, okay? And clear, crisp skies, and, you know, a sky full of stars that were just unreal and so during the night we did some ridge running um and you're just like out on these ridges and the stars were amazing and it was just it was breathtaking honestly just breathtaking and so that section just really oh uh, i mean like i can just close my eyes and think about it now and i'm like just take me back it was amazing um 
And so that that little section, whatever that is, is amazing. And then I really actually like the last little section of climbing out of the creek and, and up. Um, it's just like a little gorge, and, and you go through mm-hmm. many different gorges. Uh, but I, I love that feature. You get to in the last like four miles, you cross a couple of creeks, uh, and I love that part. Um, in the woods, you're down in a wet, you know, fern. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. it's really gorge. wet. Yeah. And so I don't know. I, I just I like those uh, little places. Um, so yeah, th- there's just all kinds of terrain. You're up and down, out of gorges, and everything all the time. Um, and so yeah, I don't know if I can pick one. Those are like my top three. How, how's that? I, I think that sounds really good. I can't complain with any of those. Um, I didn't see the first two that you mentioned. Yeah. Um, now the like the most the or at least the feature that i like the most was it called where we went through a freaking oh, boulder that, that was, was like cool okay so cracks yeah. in the rocks that was beautiful yeah. where we went through and i was into my low point then so that's probably why i'm like not talking about <laughs> it because my emotions are attached to it but yeah that is a really cool feature that you go into this big cave of rocks and climb up through it and out the other side so yeah there's some really cool Lots of rock houses and rock features like that that you yeah. pass through. Yeah, very cool. Yeah. Okay. Um, let me think. Okay. What was your favorite aid station? Oh, man. There was, I mean, this race, like every aid station is so great. And I know everybody always says, oh, the volunteers are so great. But this race is way better. Okay. The volunteers are just way better. They just are. My favorite aid station, I don't know if I could pick one. I mean, there's there's a lot of them. They were all excellent. I think my favorite aid stations were the ones we came to in the middle of the night. Um, like Blue Heron or something or what? No, before yeah. Blue Heron. It would be before like the Duncan Hollow. And there mm-hmm. was a couple of other ones during the night, like Ledbetter. And there was a Laura couple. Hill, Laura Duncan Hill. Hill. Laura or something Hill, Duncan Hollow, Ledbetter. Ledbetter. And so those ones during the night, they had the big fire going, and they had oh, all the chairs nice. up around the fire so you could warm up for a minute. They had coffee. Coffee. That was, like, the biggest thing. They had little <laughs> things to go get coffee, you know, and hot food. Um, and they were just – it was like this little oasis in the desert, you know, <laughs> kind of feeling. Yeah, and it's, it's like pretty so much – you're, you're coming from – nighttime you're cold you're weary you're at a low point yeah and this aid station really is like an oasis it's it it's is. saving your ass <laughs> and you know during our night it got down to freezing it was icy it was even spitting little ice flakes you know we were cold um and so mm-hmm. you know you pull up in the middle of the night to this little aid station in the woods and they've got a cozy fire they've got coffee and broth and you know, all the volunteers are there to just be like, oh, you're doing great. So I would say I especially loved all of the nighttime aid stations because they were just so cozy and welcoming and they just had everything you wanted. And yeah, so I think those are my favorite. Okay. The next question is kind of sensitive, okay? And okay. you're you're kind of living your life as an example. I know it's going to help people. Bud, you froze on me. I ask you. Hold on, bud. You're freezing on me. Still with? Uh, hold on. You still with me? Yeah, you okay. were frozen. Okay. Uh, okay. 
So what was your lowest low and what were you thinking? Hmm, I had a couple of lows. Uh, during the first part of the night, I had gotten real panicky. I don't usually get panicked in the night. I love running at night in the woods. Uh, it doesn't bother me, that part I love. Uh, but I had some, like, overwhelming feelings. I started thinking about my kids and some issues and kind of got emotionally worked up. And I wouldn't say that was low. That was hard. But my lowest low point, I think, really was uh, after I'd picked you up, after the 62-mile mark. And I think we were about mile 73. And I just felt like I hit a wall. I was really tired. The sun had come up. I made it through the night just fine. The sun had come up, um, and I was just tired. I was tired, and, like, my brain was tired. Um, and it, it that was probably my wall, I guess, was then. I just couldn't snap out of it, you know? I just was like, everything hurts. I'm tired. Um, yeah, it was just that slump that I hit, and that's when I hit it. What what advice would you give others to get through their slump? Uh, I mean, take a little break. Like, you remember, I told Bud, give me three minutes. I sat down on a rock yeah. and I said, set your timer. Three minutes to have a pity party, eat, drink, <laughs> you know, like, get mad about it, and then get up and go. And so I think that's the biggest thing is just knowing that you have to keep going and that it will pass, and it did. Um, but I think it's... You know, so many people will use that wall and be like, yeah, I can't do it anymore. I don't, this isn't fun anymore. I don't want to do it. But if you just wait and, and give it a couple more miles, you know, get pepped up, get through it, you'll be fine. So it really is to just keep going no matter what. That's something that is hard to do in the moment. It is. It is kind of, really hard. You have to, pre you have to predetermine that at some point that when you hit that wall you're just going to bust through it or you're just going to keep yeah. chipping away at it you're not going to let it kill you and i think just being aware that everyone i think everyone at some point during a hundred miler hits some kind of slump and just knowing like hey i'm going to hit a low point i'm going to feel like awful and tired and want to quit and so just knowing ahead of time like hey i'm going to hit that and i'm just going to have to think of something that's going to keep me going and yeah that's what you got to do what did you think of what kept you going um you know at that point really i was in that i gotta get to the aid station i just if i get to the okay. aid station like and that's really how you do it you go from aid station to aid station like that's your mission it's like a short-term mission like if i can just get to the next aid station and so that's, that was right then, like, okay, I just got to get to the next aid station, whatever it takes to get there. But there also was like, you know, oh, my kids are like tracking me at home and like, you know, wanting me to finish and I don't want to disappoint them. So there is that too, like, get up, you got to go because, you know, everybody at home's waiting on you. <laughs> so. Yeah. So let's go the exact polar opposite. What was your highest high during the race? Not the finish, but just your highest high during the race. Um, hold on, that's my son, Avi. Hey, Avi, what do you need? 
Okay. He wants an oatmeal cream pie, people. He needs an oatmeal cream pie. Let him have That's, it. Let him have it, man. I, I said he can grace, have it. So, yeah, he's getting it. Um, <laughs> he's grumpy. He's tired. I got to put him to bed. But no, so uh, there was a couple of really high moments. There was this one point after my slump. I don't even mm-hmm. remember now. It's all kind of blurred together. Uh, but there was one point where, like, I just snapped out of the slump and I felt so good. My legs felt good. I felt pepped up. And I was like, man, let's run. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, and it was like I was on a high. Um, and so that was good because I'd gone through the slump and then to feel so good again was, like, amazing. But I think that the highest I felt was that last, like, eight miles because I was just so yeah. ready. I was like on fire, like to get it done. Like I knew how close I was and I knew I finally was letting it sink in that I was going to do it. Like I was going to finish and I was going to get a buckle. Like it was starting to sink in like this might actually happen. And so I just became even more determined and kind of more powered up. Um, And I really did kind of get like this, you know, adrenaline rush that just kind of powered me through that and it felt really good i was like climbing up those gorges and um i just felt good like i felt like i could do it and it was i was starting to get excited about being able to finish and uh so yeah that was a good even though the last eight miles were really hard it was also like i was really pumped up you know it wasn't like most races where you're dragging at the end and you're like oh my god i just wanted to be done i was actually the opposite i was all pumped up and like let's let's bring it home so that was that was good so i i remember there was a point um where i was pushing you a little bit it was before you kind of totally got out of your slump yeah and we were starting to run jog a little bit and do a yeah. little bit more of that and i don't know if you realized at some point that your legs still worked or something yeah. but you were able to do that and, yeah. and i knew there was going to be a point and we may have even discussed it where you were going to realize that you were so close to the finish because you know six seven miles away you don't have to reserve anything else you've yeah, already you just, made it that far yeah. and now it's just you're home free and yeah. so at that point you can smell the finish line and there's no holding you back and, yeah. and you came alive and you knew and and you really really hustled and i was so impressed by that yeah i i did i had held back throughout the race because i really never wanted to hit that wall that just stops you yeah. completely i was so afraid of getting to that point and so you know i'd push here and then hold back and then push and then i went through a slump and then i feel good and so when i got probably like even the last 12 miles I knew I started to gauge like okay what what do I got left in the tank and it turned mm-hmm. out I had a whole lot like like I really uh was just like okay I'm just gonna crank it up and and blow it out you know and and give it basically leave it all out on the trail you know? <laughs> and uh that's what I did I mean you know I still was being smart about it wasn't gonna run myself mm-hmm. off the side of the mountain or you know twist an ankle but definitely just decided to yeah not you know now's not the time to conserve energy let's get it get it done so that was a good feeling yeah yeah uh, let me ask you um your food and nutrition and water mm-hmm. throughout the race how do you feel like you you managed that and what all did you eat and do you think you did your body correctly with your nutrition and all that 
Yeah, I hit the nail on the head for this race somehow. <laughs> um, and I think for, for me, that just comes from years of experiences of doing the wrong things <laughs> or when things haven't gone right. Because when I finished the race, <laughs> I felt so good. Mentally, uh, I, I wasn't nauseous. My head didn't hurt. I wasn't even tired. I mean, yeah, my legs were like, you know, I wanted to sit down. Um, but I... I didn't feel like I was, I had just run for 34 hours. So I feel like I hit the hydration and the food calories right. Like I just did everything perfectly. Um, and I had practiced that. I had been practicing nutrition and hydration. Um, and so, you know, I did what I normally do, water and with salt pills. But because the temperature yeah. was much cooler... I didn't need as much salt. I was only taking salt pills like every few hours. Um, when when it was mm -hmm. in the heat of the day, maybe every hour. But like during the night when it's like 30 degrees, uh, you know, I didn't need so much. And instead I would compensate with salty foods. Um, and so, you know, water, just my same amount of water that I found my body needs. Um, just keeping a really close check on, on water consumption. Um, and again, it wasn't middle of summer. So, you know, being off a little bit on your water consumption is like, okay, you have like a little wiggle room, uh, food wise, that's what usually messes me up. It's really hard to eat later on in a hundo. Usually nothing sounds good. It's hard to get food down. I remember telling you like I would chew and I feel like I was chewing forever and the food wouldn't go down. Like I, <laughs> like I couldn't get food down. I don't know yeah. what's going on. Um, and so it was hard to get food down in the second half of the race, but I do the foods that I normally do. I do eat aid station foods. I like the chips and the PB and J's and the quesadillas. So I, I partake in those, you know, when they're there. Uh, but I also did, uh, Halloween candy. <laughs> My own Halloween candy I brought. I did some, yeah. just a little bit of gels. Um, I, I like the little, um, goo chews that have caffeine in them they're just like big gummies uh and i use those little packets of like almond butter that you can get because they're 200 calories in a yeah. packet and unlike simple carbs because they're all full of fat it sits in your stomach and makes you feel good like full so, like, you could be hungry and eat a gel or something, and you're still hungry. Like, you get some energy, but you feel hungry. Whereas, you take a packet of that almond butter or peanut butter, and you're like, whoa, I feel, like, good. Like, I have real food in my stomach, and they're 200 calories. And uh, mm -hmm. so, I did those, too. I did those during SCAR, and, and I just, I'm a fan of, like, making sure you're taking in some good fats as well. So I just did all that normal stuff. I mean, nothing fancy. Like, that's just kind of whatever. They had at the aid station I'd graze on if I felt like it. Um, some aid stations, I didn't take food. I just used what I had. Um, and I, had, I think I had one yeah. bar, you know, stuff like that. And so it's all stuff that I knew I could get down later on in a race. It's stuff I've used during SCAR, during other hundo attempts. Stuff I knew uh, that I could get down. And so, uh, you know, when it became hard to eat, I just nibble, like, you know, take bites here and there mm -hmm. to kind of, kind of just keep calories in. I think I probably was under in calories, but not enough to, to hurt me in any way and make me feel like crap. 
Um, so yeah, whatever I did, it worked. I, d- I don't count calories during a race or keep up with that. I just eat when I'm hungry and I make sure I'm eating constantly, you know, like every 30 minutes, every 45 minutes, get something in my mm-hmm. stomach. Um, so I, I don't like fret about it. I just kind of keep it constant and that's what I did. And so it worked, whatever I did. I think, I think it worked well. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't think you bonked at all on nutrition. It seemed like yeah um you you had everything you needed uh so a little bit about your gear yeah so you you kept the same pair of shoes and socks the whole did. i did so i am not a fan of changing shoes and socks which i know people are like oh my gosh because a lot of people really like that uh i probably should have on this just because i did get a blister i don't normally get blisters wasn't painful it just looks nasty mm-hmm. uh but i got a blister on my toe but i do not usually change shoes or socks i just don't like to unless it, it i feel like i have to i did pack extra socks and drop bags did not pack extra shoes because i knew i wouldn't use them um but i'm happy with my decision my feet are still in pretty good shape i have one blister between my toes um but yeah i never felt the need like, at every aid station, I'd see people changing socks and shoes, and I never honestly felt the need to do that. So, I just, you know, I don't know. Everybody's different on that, and I, I didn't, you know, so. Right, and so you just pretty much uh, kept your, your race clothing the same, yeah. and you either added an insulating layer or took it off. And that, That's and right. And you just wore the same clothes the whole day. Yeah, I had a long sleeve shirt in my pack that I needed at night and the next morning and then the next night. Um, And then I had leggings that I used just through the night when it got really cold. Um, And I slid those on and off and dropped them later in a a drop bag along the way. And so, yeah, I just add or, you know, take away. Um, And that worked well. Yeah, I mean, you know, the temperature during the day was pretty moderate. And then night dropped a little bit. Uh, so it wasn't too hard to plan for. There wasn't any rain. It was nice. Um, so, yeah, that was easy. I didn't really carry much extra stuff. Right. And you did pretty much 60% of the race without poles. And then the last yes. 40% with poles. Yeah. So I had poles at, I guess, where I met you, right? Because you had them. Uh, right. So mile 62, I grabbed poles. And I, they, they were helpful to take a little bit off of my legs and just help maneuvering those last four miles, especially like crossing creeks in the dark on tired, mm. tired legs, been awake for 34 hours. You know, it's nice to have poles to kind of just get you through. And I had two big climbs at the end. And so, yeah, mm. that was really helpful. Didn't use them the whole time. Jim used them most of the time. And I know they were really helpful for him. Uh, there were some big climbs during the night. I was like, man, if I had poles, this would probably be a little bit easier. (laughs) But, no, I mean, they weren't necessary for me, I felt like. But they were extremely helpful there, yeah, for the last 40 miles, for sure. At a race, this normally happens to me. um, I seem to meet someone brand new, someone I've never met before. And I just think they're the coolest person I've ever met. We'd be friends, and they either give me encouragement or... I like hanging out with them, so I know you probably didn't have as much time as I did to socialize, but did you meet anybody who was brand new to you who really encouraged you or helped you, someone you really liked, and and they're just a, a new friend you made? Um, well, there were several people. I, I don't know that, you know, I found somebody. 
I, it was kind of like in and out with other people. One guy in the middle of the night uh, that Jim and I had kind of caught up to is this guy. I think his name is Adam. And he was from Florida. Okay. Okay. And he's a flat runner, like flatland. And so this course is gnarly. There's like 15,000 feet of gain. There's lots of climbing. Um, and so he was like, he's, he's riding a lot of hundred milers, but they all been flat. Was his name Adam, Jim? Is that the guy? Which one? That from Florida? Yeah. Florida. Yeah. Okay. So we came upon him in the middle of the night and we kind of caught up to him because there's a lot of big climbs and stuff. And so we got to talking and um, he was just a really nice guy. And I was worried. I was so worried about him because I was like, oh man, he's like this great runner, but is he going to make it? Like, you know, because he was, mm-hmm. he was struggling. Um, and so we kind of cat and moused him for a while and then I lost track of him and ended up him and Jim ran it in together, I think. Uh, so I was so glad to like hear like, oh my gosh, this guy made it. Uh, just cause he was, <laughs> it was fun to talk to you. He was still like, even in his misery was so cheerful and like determined, like, you know, like it, he was struggling, but you knew he wasn't going to quit. Like, so it was right, cool right. to meet him. Um, and then, I mean, just like a lot of people that we ended up catting and mousing through the night and into the next day, and especially towards the end, just lots of just different people getting to be like, so is this your first hundred or what, you know, have you done this before? Where are you from? Uh, yeah, I, there were several just uh, fun people to talk to and uh, kind of see throughout the course. Yeah, so it, it was neat. I love that part. I love Especially at the end when you're just all, it's like you all have the same goal. You're just getting to the end. Yeah. Like, come on. And so, like, um, you know, you've seen these people off and on throughout the last 24, 34 hours. And so, you know, you feel like you know them. And then, you know, at the very end, you're all pushing to get there. And it's just like, you know, so crazy. And you're, come on, we're almost there. You know, you're all trying to get in. And uh, I just love that. I love it. And I don't know, that aspect makes it fun. Feels like you're a little community, you know, trying to yeah. all achieve the same goal. So, yeah. So, uh, the dude that we met when we were camping out, and I guess race day morning, um, Steve from upstate New York, he became <laughs> my friend. He was at all the aid stations with me. Uh, okay. And we got to hang out. We hung out till you picked me up. And, just the coolest guy Uh and uh other things that i've kind of talked to you about that were kind of like in the back of my mind like uh dirt bike racing and stuff like that he he does that kind of stuff so i was like man this is uh way too much uh coincidence here you know that's funny but in any case i'm I'm gonna like set that aside (laughs) keep that for another day (laughs) that's funny um so let me think i had another question for um let me think oh yeah so there was uh we're going to talk about finish line stuff here and uh jim had made it to the finish line what about 20 minutes before you or something yeah i think it ended up being 20 or 30 minutes before and so like the way that we did it um we started together because the way they started the race because of COVID, they had the elites start at 10 a.m. And then at 10, 15 a.m., they began letting other people run. And so, like, they were spacing them every so often. 
And so since Jim and I are together, we could start together, you know, just like go. We started about 10.15 and we started together um, and we ended up just kind of sticking together all through the afternoon and night. Um, and so, wait, where am I going with this? What was the question again? I just totally lost track. I've so had, it, I'm almost done so with it, my drink. Some, I know. <laughs> so <laughs> the start of the question, I, I was going to get to your triumphant finish. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, Jim. Fin- yeah, so we stuck together for like the first. Yeah, the first. And then talking about your pace together. Yeah, we stuck together pretty much together the first half. He w- he's faster going up hills and up the mountains, and so like he would lose me, and then sometimes I would catch him at an aid station, and so we were pretty much together the first half of the race. Um, you know, he would take off like. Uh, for him, it's just easier for him to power hike. And his power hiking speed is so fast that I usually can't keep up, especially going uphill. And so we stuck together off and on through the first half. Um, and then he kind of took off when I was feeling low and I had picked you up and I was moving slow. But then I got really surprised because I thought he was probably like ended up an hour ahead. But the aid stations were like, oh, no, he just came through like 30 minutes ago. And then at Peter's Mountain, they're like, he just came through like 15 minutes ago. And so we, I was kind of gaining on him. And so I thought I might catch him. I wasn't sure. But I think he ended up finishing about 20 or 30 minutes ahead, roughly. Which I figured, right. yeah, I figured he would. So at the finish line, when you fell into his arms, what was uh-huh. that about? How did, how did that uh, feel I don't when even, you actually got there? Because, like, you know, when you get to the finish line, you're just like, oh, my God, I can't believe, like, it's I'm here, you know? And so, like, at first, when I first ran, like, it's dark, you're tired, a little bit delirious. And so I was like, I couldn't even make out, really, who was there. And so I'm, like, running, and then all of a sudden, I, I realize it's Jim, and he's, like, you know, arms outstretched. I'm like, yes! So I just kind of fall onto him. And I didn't know he was going to pick me up and spin me around. So he spun me around. I was like, oh, okay. I'll just collapse here for a minute then. Yeah. <laughs> Rest. And, uh, yeah, so that was good. And it was so funny because I didn't even know you were there. Because the last I'd seen you, I left you at the last aid station. So I was like, well, I guess Bud's just going to miss that. Yeah, I, trick, I tricked you. <laughs> he tricked me. He, got, he hitched a ride. No, I wouldn't miss it for the world. Yeah, I so I didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me. I mean, you know, I just finished and I'm tired and. Uh, Jim had gotten me and then I got to hug the race director and then find a chair and it took me a few minutes like to put two and two together and be like oh there's Bud like he somehow magically transported to the finish line (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so yeah I mean mentally my brain was not firing on all cylinders you know so I was a little (laughs) So, so the question I'm really asking is the finish line at the hundo and yeah. completing this race, this means more than just the 102 miles. Oh, this yeah. is like a lifetime thing. This yeah, means this means life. I yeah, mean, this is like the challenge of life, and you're you're showing the world that you're strong as hell, and and it's something that is going to carry you through, you oh, know, definitely. everything. Yeah, definitely. And it's funny because even up to the end, I wasn't letting myself believe that it was actually happening. 
because people who know me know that I've DNF'd, you know, several hundred mile attempts uh, for various reasons. And so uh, towards the end, I wouldn't let myself believe that this was actually happening. And so I think when it actually did happen, I was just kind of like, I don't, I don't know. It was so different than any other race I've finished. So different. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out, you know, other races have always been like, um, moments where I wanted to quit or, you know, if I hit a wall, like I just was like, Oh, just, I want it to be over. I never felt that way during this race. I always was like 100% committed and determined to get to the finish line. And it drove me the whole way. And I was worried about making cutoffs at the end. So I wouldn't let myself believe that it was happening. And I think really until I crossed that finish line, I really, it didn't hit me until like, oh my gosh, I just did it. And like, I think I was crying because I was like, I I just did it. Like I hadn't let myself believe it until I was actually there. And of course my brain's like all tired and barely functioning. Um, And so it was a very different experience, this race in the finish line. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was just different. It was weird in a good way. Different in a good way. Right. But if you recall, I believed you could do it the whole time. Yeah. (laughs) And there was no doubt in my mind. that we're going to make that, 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 you know, cut off at this aid state? Are you sure? Because, like, I was so worried about getting my hopes up and then, like, not making a cutoff. Like, I really was not letting myself get too excited um, you know, cause I've been through so many DNFs and I really had worked so hard this time and trained so hard and prepared so hard. And I just felt like it was going to happen, but I didn't want to let myself believe it because I didn't want to get disappointed. Um, so yeah, I, it was just kind of a, one of those things where I was just like, I got to get to the finish on time. And I was just, it was like a one track thought. It wasn't that I'm tired and I want to sit down. It wasn't that, you know, I just want this to be done. It was, I've got to cross the finish line and finish this. Um, and so I felt really good at the finish line. I, I don't know how to explain it. It's really weird. I felt really good. So um, that surprised me. I don't know. It's it really different. I'm still kind of processing all of that. So I'm not sure <laughs> how to explain it. So, so the night before the race. Um, <laughs> I had a dream and this dream was taking place post race and I had already gotten the buck and you had already lost it, misplaced it. Okay. Yes. And you were looking for it. And I, and I didn't say anything. You popped up and said, man, I had a dream that I lost my buckle. Yes, I did. I dreamed that I crossed the finish line, felt good, and then I lost my dang buckle. Uh, so it's funny. We did dream the same thing. But yeah, even my dream was very confident. Like, I finished the race, and it was great. And so that was a good, like, omen for me. Like, I, that made me feel good, you know, going in. Uh, because my brain, obviously, was feeling confident because it had that dream, you know. Um, and so that made me feel good. I felt so confident going into this race. I didn't want to say that. I didn't want to be like, I feel so great going into here and I know I'm going to do it because, you know, I mean, anything can happen. And so I felt very confident going in, but I was afraid to admit it um, or say it. Uh, But then at the end, yeah, when it all clicked and I pushed through 
and finished in time. It was, uh, it was like, there was a part of me that was like, I knew, I knew I was prepared for this, but the other part, like, I can't believe I just did this, you know? So it was kind of a balance of those two things. And you're still just like walking around carrying the buckle. Oh, of course, right? bud. I don't have a belt to put it on yet. So I just carry it around, put it in my purse, carry it with me, set it next to my laptop. Yeah, I mean, hey, earn that sucker. <laughs> yeah, be careful. Do not lose that yeah, thing. Yeah, right. I, I think you need a, you need a, you need a belt. Yeah, I gotta do something. I have to make a little shelf for it or something. Everybody be like, um, what, what? "Why do you have a buckle on a shelf?" I'm like, "You have no idea how important that is." <laughs> mm -hmm. So that this race, unlike other ones that I've been to, the mileage that they had seemed to be exactly dead nuts uh, on. According to my GPS, it was spot on. I loved that. I think, like mentally, that was so great because, like, when the aid station it says 92.2 it was 92.2 miles um and so knowing that overall the mileage was very accurate and that you know i can expect to see the aid station at what they say that to me was mentally so comforting um i yeah i i thought that was great that was very nice yeah yeah that's awesome yeah. so are there any more takeaways from this event that you want to share with us mm, i don't know i mean i think if you're going to do a hundred miler and you really want to do it i think you have to pick one that is somewhere like an area you enjoy like i i'm not a desert person i don't want to run in a desert so i'm not going to do a hundred miler in the desert um also don't want to run flatland so i'm not going to you know go pick a flat hundred miler so I think picking somewhere that you enjoy is very beneficial, but also picking a race that is well done. Um, so Brian puts on free training weekends prior to the race and feeds you and everything for free. Um, and he gives you, you know, very complete information down to the smallest detail. He has everything planned out. Um, so I think running like a well-organized race is important if you're someone like me who you know, you, you, for me to do train and travel to go to a hundred milers, a big deal. I'm not single and childless. You know, I have a job, I have a husband, three kids. It's a big deal to travel and go somewhere for a race. And so I think if you're like me, you really want to go to a race where, you know, the race director cares about the runners and wants them to succeed and have a good time. And that's important. So for, for me, I need a well-organized race that's going to, you know, go well um, because I've put so much time and effort, you know. I don't want to get there and, and it fall apart for, you know, on, on the race side of things. And so I think that is very important, um, choosing, you know, a good race. Um, yeah, I don't know. Those are my two takeaways because I had a great time at this race. Um, so well organized and it was somewhere I enjoyed and it was with great people, great volunteers. And uh, yeah, I wouldn't change a thing. So. Yeah, um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. What parts I was able to participate in and 
you know, it meant a lot to me to be able to help you achieve your goal. And mm-hmm. I know it's been a long time coming. Yeah. And and it's well deserved. And and just personally, what I've seen, you trained more this year than I think you ever have before in your life. And yeah, for al- sure. Also overcame many hurdles to get there. And yeah. there's several setbacks along the way. Um the some of the cool stuff that I like to see at a race, um, I saw a lot of that stuff. And I'll I'll give you a few examples. Uh, not not just the things pertaining to my time with you, but I saw two guys come through the last aid station and they barely had any time to get through there. And they left one of their friends behind and they they talked to everyone at the aid station. They said, hey, you know, I've got a friend named Kai. He's coming up behind us. And um, and and the and the, the people at the aid station said, well, y'all don't have any time to wait for him. You need to drive. And if he comes through, we'll we'll tell him uh, where you guys are and see if he's confident enough to continue. So they and two or three minutes later, Kai comes in. He's really, really tired. And everyone at the aid station tells him, hey, your friends just took off. If you go as hard as you can, we'll let you through and you can probably catch them. Well, if you recall, well, after you had finished the race and we're all just sitting there around the propane heaters and stuff, three boys came in and Um, Kai had caught up to his friends and they finished within four or five seconds of the final, final cutoff. Yes, yes, I remember that. And and that boy Kai just fell on the ground. Mm -hmm. He was completely done. And to see that kind of effort and I mean, it was just unreal to me. Yeah. So that that was that's one of the things I really, really love about these type events is seeing someone get in by the skin of their teeth. You know? Oh yeah. Uh there was another thing that was really, really touching. Um there was a lady who had lost her son about a year ago, and she was doing this race kind of like a memorial. And she had run out of time. She was caught up by the sweepers and she came into the last aid station with the sweepers. And she, they, they talked to the race director and basically her status was she did not have enough time to humanly make it to the finish line before the, the race cut off. Mm-hmm. She was already at the cutoff at, at aid station, but she was strong. She was not weak. She was not totally fatigued. She had been hanging out with the sweepers for the last hour or two. And she basically was running this race as a memorial. She wanted to continue with the sweepers. And so the race director gave her the go-ahead to continue with the sweepers. Yeah. And he talked to them. And they said, yeah, she's welcome to come with us. We'll watch out for her. We won't let her get hurt. We won't let her get lost. Mm-hmm. And we'll keep her with us. And so she was able to finish her personal race. Yeah. And and do it as a memorial to her son, the memory of her son. And so that was really touching to me. And yeah. so um, whether or not she was behind cutoff or not, it didn't matter. She was basically doing this as a memorial. And, right. and I love that. Oh, yeah. I love that, too. Yeah. And so there's so many cool stories like that that come out of it. Um yeah, so it was it was just great all around. I liked being there at the very end, you know. Uh, like you said, seeing people come in just with seconds remaining and giving everything they had because you know they just did. They they laid it all out. Um, so yeah, it was great. It was great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So Jim's just 
kind of been hanging out. In the background hanging there. Out he hasn't really said much. He's drinking. Oh, he's already drank his drink. See, he even finished his drink <laughs> for me. He finished the race and his drink. Oh man, he's man. It's always yeah. got to beat me. It's the local legend of our hill out here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One step so ahead. I, I really. I really enjoyed crewing both of y'all and not just pacing you, Lauren, but also yeah. crewing Jim a little bit. And he, he has always crewed us together. And so just to be able to pay that back a little bit is, yeah. just, you know, and I, and I know I didn't do anywhere near as good a job as he does <laughs> for me because, you know, I'm not cooking. I'm not doing <laughs> any of that stuff. And, uh, but it was also, um, it was touching for me to see him in kind of a punky state. You know, where he had been exhausted and I, I it was kind of fun for me to see that. Not yeah. not that I was enjoying him being in pain, but right. just to see You've him in, in need of help. Yeah. yeah he yeah. needs help. That <laughs> is true for those listening. Like so we were scar and everything. Jim is our crew. And so now it's yeah. like reverse, like he's running and now yeah, it was funny. Yeah. And at there at the end of the race when uh I don't remember what or maybe it was when we were just back at uh, Blue Heron or whatever, and we're cutting his socks off. Yeah, Brad had to cut his socks off. He had, he had like uh, his ankle had swollen up. He had hit it on something, and so like he couldn't get his compression sock off. And so Bud's like trying to pull it, and Jim's like screaming in pain. So I'm like, just cut it. I'm like in the back seat, half asleep, you know, because I'm like, just cut it off. <laughs> Bud's cutting it, you know. Oh yeah. Yeah, they were like they—they they were expensive socks too. But, yeah, you know, they, they were, were nasty. Yeah, they were gross. Blood. <laughs> <laughs> the dirty job being a crewer and pacer. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, no, it was fun. It was fun to see Jim. I like to watch Jim experience this because obviously it's his longest run, as was mine. Um, but like. You know, he hasn't done the 50K, the 50 mile. And so, like, he got to experience the whole realm and the whole spectrum of, like, ultra running in one event. Mm -hmm. So, it was interesting to watch him experience, like, the things I've experienced. And now he's experiencing, you know, experiencing them. And it's just fun. It was neat to see, like, oh, yeah, see. And I think it, you know, I don't know. I think that's one reason why the ending felt so different. It wasn't I was running to somebody who had not run. I was running to somebody who just did exactly what I did and felt mm -hmm. the way I felt and went through everything I did. So it was neat. Yeah, it was neat experience to do that together, even though we weren't together the whole time and we didn't actually do the event together uh it was neat that we both did experience it together even though we weren't physically well we were together. together for the whole 62 miles to blue heron we were yeah the first 62 miles we were yeah. pretty much together no you, he we would were, speed up and, and i would yeah, lag and, behind and you were saying and i was like hey are you gonna wait on me or not yeah, exactly. punk? <laughs> <laughs> leaving me out here yeah. in the woods <laughs> So, so yeah, I think and he that, was glad to see Bud come. He's like, I'm taking off. She can, yeah. she can have her pacer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah mile sixty two. She gave me the go. I was ahead. like, just go, Jim. I can't yeah. keep up with you on those hills. So yeah, yeah. he he made off. Yep. <laughs> right, and I had to. I did injure myself. Yeah, he had. He does have like an ankle that's swollen. He went and got an X-ray. It's not broken or fractured or anything, but it's, he's got some. I just have inflammation. Well, not just inflammation. There's, yeah. 
bone, bone spurs and all and kinds of crazy chips. stuff. Mm. This is his Frankenfoot, I like yeah. to call it. It's the one he crushed 20 years ago and had rebuilt. So, I mean, you know, what do you expect? But, Doctor uh, <laughs> just said I'm a dumbass. I should try swimming and mountain biking. I told him to go to hell. Ultra runners, yeah. He's like, you could, you could do, you could do mountain biking. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna break my bone. I can't kayak. Yeah. No, that's not going to happen. Yeah, Doctor <laughs> thinks you're crazy, but so. yeah, but no, Jim did great. I mean, and I knew he would. I really knew that Jim was going to finish it. I mean, he's, we joke and we call him the mountain goat because he really is like a mountain goat. And so I, I really knew he would finish unless he got seriously injured. Um, and I think for me, you know, just knowing like, you know, Jim's going through this too and Bud's here. Like, it just kind of gave me the confidence. Like, I'm just going to push, like, especially that last section. Like, I'm going to push. I'm going to leave it all out here because I know I can do it. Jim's ahead of me. Bud's behind me, you know, like, I'm just going to push. Like, I'm here. I'm going to do it. And so it was kind of neat because I felt surrounded on the trail. Uh, you know, I didn't feel like I was doing any of it on my own. Um, mm -hmm. I felt like I had such good support. And so that was fun. I really enjoyed that. So it was good. So you're going to so do it next year, what bud? did you do with Well, if we're pacing at Bigfoot, probably not. So I that really puts a real kink in it but i think bigfoot's a much bigger deal and and yeah. more of what i like to do yeah. so you know if i could do 75 miles of the bigfoot trail pacing you know different sections of it splitting it with you jim that's that's what i want to do and yeah. and it seems like that's the that's the ticket right there um but I was going to ask you about your gear so we threw away that pair of socks cuz obviously <laughs> they were dead yeah. But no, what did you do with the rest? What did you do with the rest of your clothes? I mean, they had to have been nasty. Oh, <laughs> man. But those clothes were so gross. And so, well, okay. So we didn't come straight back home. We went to my mom's house in Chattanooga because that's where we had dropped our children right. off. And so I warned my mom. I left them in the van. And I'm like, Mom, you're going to have to empty your washing machine when I tell you. And just leave the lid open. And I'm going to go to the van. I'm going to get the pile of clothes. And we're going to have to wash them like with extra detergent, maybe some vinegar, extra heavy duty cycle. Oh, they were awful. And it was fine. They came out clean. But yeah, I was, I was like, I'm so sorry. But I mean, the same thing happened after Scar. We actually went to my mom's house again because she had the kids. Uh, so she's used to the protocol of taking the nasty, gross smelling nasty nasty clothing and washing it um thank goodness thank you mommy oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah it, yeah but it was so gross like i woke up the next morning we slept in the van you know overnight after the race and i woke up and i was like oh i can still smell my clothes you know <laughs> laying on the floor they were oh. so gross oh it was awful uh, i don't think you can do any endurance event and not have nasty clothes um but yeah, he does have one of those socks. We threw away the cut one, but he has one extra <laughs> compression sock now to keep in the back of the sock drawer. <laughs> whatever. So, yeah. Yeah, but the other, I use the Olympus 4. Is oh, it? Shoot. Oh, yeah. 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 Four and a half. Um, those things were awesome. He liked those. Yeah, I, I mean, used my Solomon since ride the whole way, and I loved them. So, yeah, just right. different feet. Yeah, but then I used the, yeah. actually, I got the big pack from Solomon, the 12 liter. Um, 
I think I carried a little bit too much of crap. Um, just spare clothes and batteries and stuff like that. But yeah, other than that, it was it was wonderful. And yeah. then the black diamond Z's, they made the race for me. Oh, his, his poles. poles. Yeah, I think I might get yeah. me some of those, bud. Um, after I injured my foot and my leg at what was it about twenty five? Yeah, mile twenty five. Um, they got me through the <laughs> rest of the race. Um, I could just dig in and go with them. So it was nice. Yeah. I'm definitely going to get some of those for Bigfoot. I have a little Sportiva ones and they're great, but I think I'm going to, I'm going to try those and, and see. But yeah, I, uh, I had a Solomon pack. Let's see months. It's just the eight liter. Yeah. The yes. eight liter. And it was perfect. I carried too much, but I, I wanted, uh, you know, it's like I, I went in so confident that I didn't want something stupid to stop me. So I overpacked a little bit for like every worst case scenario mm-hmm. that I could think of. Um, and I ended up not needing any of it, but it was comforting knowing that I had like extra tape and, you know, extra headlamp and bad. Well, you took my extra headlamp. So see, that was smart. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I had extra stuff and it, it was heavy, but it, it was fine. I mean, it didn't really bother me too much. Um, I, that's probably something I would do different for my next hundred miler is go a little lighter. Um, I just was worried. I didn't want to be without something that I could have packed. <laughs> so I had that mentality going on. Yeah. Um, but that's the thing is you always carry an extra light with you. Yeah. That, I mean, yeah. I've heard yeah. so many people from you this race who have had issues with their headlamp. Well, bud, wasn't there a dude that came into an aid station that didn't have an extra headlamp and like he had left it in a drop yeah. bag and night was going to fall again. And yeah. So, I mean, you just, you know, yeah, things happen and, um, go back to my caving years. It's just like you always have three forms of light on you at yeah. all times. Yeah. So I feel like I did a good job preparing, maybe carried a little too much extra, but it worked out. So yeah, I don't know. yeah it worked out. <laughs> it you worked can't out. second guess it now. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And that's how you run 100 miles, bud. Well, <laughs> it's easy. Awesome. It's just a walk in the park. <laughs> Sounds easy now. <laughs> That's right. I just simplified it for you. Yeah. Well, I don't have any further questions. I think you've answered everything I had. Okay. Okay. But yeah, um, I did see, just in case you're interested, that the oh, registration uh oh no business see? opens New Year's Eve. Um no it's New okay. Year's. New Year's Day, something like that. But yeah, I agree. It's a little close to Bigfoot. You do get two months to recover. So, I mean, I think it's doable. Uh, but yeah, now we got to start Bigfoot preparations, which we have not done at all. I'm going to take a couple weeks off from running. Uh, I actually went and took a walk this morning. Felt great. All my soreness is gone. Uh, I'm kind of ready to run, but I'm not going to let mm-hmm. myself. I want to give myself time to just kind of chill. Um, maybe we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll see. Is that all we got for tonight? I guess so, bud. We've kept you long enough. Okay. I'm out of drink. Hey, this has been great. This, yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I couldn't have done this it without you. I mean, I think about all the times Jim has screwed us and taken care of us and 
Now mm-hmm. we got Bud helping out this time, and the tables were flipped, and it was just fun, and we couldn't have done it without you. So Yeah, well, I appreciate it. And uh, I didn't want to make tonight about me. Um, <laughs> you're not, I absolutely had a blast. Episode. Everybody stay tuned. <laughs> Bud is not allowed to pack the van ever again. Yeah, Jim did not like the way oh. through all this shit in the van. <laughs> well, that was... You guys were bellyaching, we man, and so I didn't. I, I didn't pack it up the right way. It was just like get it, t- yeah. get the tent took down, so that way we could get on. Exactly. <laughs> well, I know, but we couldn't even get in the, up and down from the bed. I know. Without I was like crushing we were, something. We were like, dang it, tripping <laughs> over chairs. Like I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna sleep on the floor here. <laughs> <laughs> It's all good. Yeah, that's funny. We'll, we'll, teach, we'll teach Bud how to pack a van for Bigfoot. <laughs> we're gonna get a bus. We're gonna rent a bus. There you go. We'll get Tony's. Yeah, we're gonna rent a, rent us a bus, the Bahoffer bus. How's that? <laughs> Sounds awesome. Uh, all right, Sounds Bud. Awesome. Well, thanks for talking to us about our hundo. Hey, thank you. And so you you guys have a good night. Good night, all right, everybody. Thank you. Bye, all Bud. Right. Bye-bye.